We're going to open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to invite up Matt Williams to read for us. And the, the section that we're reading is verses 40 to 45, and it's on uh, 695 of your pew Bibles. So it's right under there. Okay. Okay. So Mark 1, 40 to 45, page 695. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean, cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in, a, in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. So a little confession before we jump in and actually try to understand this passage. The first few times I read this thing, I did not get it. It did not make any sense. The first few times I was like, oh, another one of those healing stories in the Bible. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've ever read read the Gospels, you're going to notice this. There's a person with a problem. They come to Jesus and they sincerely ask Jesus, please help me. And he responds, I've got this. And then he, he does whatever he does. And then he says, okay, but you know what? Let's keep this on the hush-hush. I don't need you to go tell everybody. And then they go, yes, Jesus, we won't tell anybody. And as soon as they leave, they tell everybody. It's just another one of those stories. The problem I have with stories like this, though, is I tend to fictionalize them. I, maybe it's because I've just read them so often. I, if anything, I would say I've, I've stripped away any of the humanness out of the passage, and it's just another story. And so the more I just looked at this passage, the more I was like, what? There? Okay, so Jesus heals. Cool. So what? <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I, I love and I think it's powerful to, that we understand that Jesus has the ability to heal. I think that's really cool. But Mark already told us that. I mean, just look back a few verses. He just went over. He did some really cool healings already. He's already shown us that Jesus can heal. And then he even summarizes, and Jesus healed a ton of people. And then we have another healing story. Why? More than that, both Matthew and Luke also find this story so interesting that they add it to their Gospels. Why? I didn't get it. It wasn't until I started to, again, rehumanize it. I started to try to think, okay, well, what would it have been like to be there? What would it have been like to see this story or understand this story uh, as one of the early readers would have understood this? And the more I started to understand the background and what was going on, the more I started to realize this story is powerful. This story 
is literally about the world being flipped inside out. This passage, these six short little verses are a microcosm of the profound impact Jesus has on humanity when he goes to the cross. These six little verses are the gospel in a nutshell. That Christ would step into our brokenness, become unclean, unrighteous, so that those who were once unclean and unrighteous might be made right with God. Might be able to live the life God intended them to live. That's what this passage is about. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. The only way I can really convince you of this is we've, gotta, we've really got to get to that first century understanding. How would one of Mark's early readers understood this passage? And so what we're going to do today is I want to spend a little time helping you just kind of fill in the details. Because what to us seems like a pretty innocuous story. A guy with a skin disease walks up to Jesus, asks him to do something, and Jesus does something. You're kind of like, all right. In Jesus' day... In a first century context, Mark's readers knew this. When they see that a leper approaches Jesus, that was a highly provocative action. More than provocative, it was offensive. It was illegal. It was wrong on so many levels. He had no right to do that. And yet he approaches Jesus. The thing that's even more shocking, though, is what Jesus does in response not what Jesus says, specifically what his actions indicate. The only way we're going to get this, though, like I said, is we've got to do a little background. We've got to understand what they would have understood. And then once we do that, we're going to dive deeper and see how this passage affects us. So before we do, let's go back to the text. Let's just set the scene so we kind of know what's going on. If you need to, picture yourself there. I don't know, maybe there's flies, maybe there's stinkiness. There was no deodorant at this time, you know. So again, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Mark 1, 40 to 42. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached down his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. A little background here on leprosy. A little background. Leprosy was incredibly widespread in the ancient Mediterranean world. The hot, dry climate was not very good for the skin. And over time, things would happen and, and skin diseases would develop. And leprosy, like all skin diseases, was incredibly difficult to treat and incredibly difficult to diagnose. The other thing about leprosy is it was highly contagious. It was highly contagious. If one person got this, it could affect an entire city. And they didn't have modern medicine. So what they did was they developed a system of laws, system of rules to keep the integrity of the, the community safe. And in Leviticus 13 and 14, God outlines in incredible detail 
what you are supposed to do about stuff. If you go back and read these really long chapters, they read like an ancient dermatology manual. Not that I've read many of them, but it's what I imagine they would be. That'd be kind of weird. An ancient dermatology manual. And most importantly, what they reveal to us is how serious the community took leprosy. What we're going to see as I read a little bit here is you need to understand leprosy was not simply a description of a disease. With the disease also came a sentence, a consequence. And just to read a couple verses will give you an idea of what this sentence brought with it. Anyone, this is from Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. Anyone with a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, I am unclean, I am unclean. They must do this as long as they have the disease, they are to remain unclean. This is key. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. In other words, Lepers were victims of far more than a disease. The disease affected them physically. It robbed them of their health. The sentence robbed them of their life. The sentence robbed them of their identity, their name. They were now known as the unclean one. They were cut off from their friends, cut off from their daily habits. They were cut off from their families. They were shunned by all of society. They were pushed out. They were cut off, shut off. They had no, commu- no connection whatsoever. Over time, various superstitions developed by the time of Jesus. Various superstitions about leprosy and what to do about it and things like this um, that were not in the Bible, but scholars, biblical, uh, excuse me, um, Jewish scholars of the day wrote about what to do if they encounter leprosy. And we find they developed these superstitions. And one of these superstitions was any leper must stand 50 feet away, 50 feet away from a a non-leper, a person without a skin condition. That was how they defined outside the camp. They couldn't come within 50 feet of you. So essentially from where I am to the door, they couldn't come any closer. The other thing it tells us, if a leper entered a house or even stood under a tree, and anyone would later enter that house or walk under the shade of that tree, they too were defiled. They too would have been considered contaminated or polluted by this leper. With this in mind, it's not hard to see then when Jesus is standing there with his disciples and this leper comes up, this would have been seen as shocking. He was not allowed to do this. This is not okay. But more than that, it's not just that he came up and was like, hey, Jesus, can you do something about this? This guy who has lost everything, lost his identity, lost his family, lost his friends, lost his community, I mean, cut off, throws the very last thing he has out the window, his dignity. Because up until this point, he at least could say, I followed the law. 
He could at least say, you know what? I may have leprosy, but at least I'm following the law. But at this point, he says, I can't do it anymore. When we are told a leper approaches Jesus, what we need to understand is this is an incredibly broken man who is saying, it doesn't matter. I have to get help. I got nothing left. And then what does his posture and his plea also indicate? He comes before Jesus and he throws himself to the ground and he begs. Begging is never something people that are feeling really good about themselves are doing. He begs, please, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus responds with something no one sees coming. He reaches out his hand and he touches him. In a gospel where we see Mark is rapidly moving through stories, details like this are meant to stick out. Why does he describe that Jesus put his hand out and then touched him? Why couldn't you say he touched him? Mark is trying to make sure we understand this was a very intentional action. And by touching, Jesus, or by touching the man, we also need to understand this was likely the first intentional human contact this man had had in who knows how long. Maybe he bumped people. He wasn't supposed to do that. But nobody would have gone out of their way to touch him. But in a moment of incredible compassion, Jesus reaches out and lays his hand on him and then says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This is a cool story. This is cool. You're starting to see it? All right. Before we dive deeper, though, some of you have probably picked up on a problem in the text. I intentionally had Matt read from the updated New International Version. Did anybody catch it? The Pew Bibles are an older translation. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have mentioned this three years ago, but because um, what, what happened is the translators of the New International Version, the, the translation we use here in church, about two or three years ago, released an updated translation. And in doing so, made a pretty significant change to the text. In verse 41, after the leper approaches Jesus, my translation says, the updated translation says, Jesus was indignant. He was angry. Whereas the old translation says what? He was filled with compassion. Compassion and anger, that can't be the same word. That is weird. What's going on here? How do we justify this? How do we understand this? Well, in order to understand it, in order to explain it, I kind of need to give you a little background as to how we have the text that we have today. Now, I'm going to say this. I am going to try and do this as quickly as possible, but you need to understand I have an undergrad degree, and I'm finishing my master's degree, and we cover this in depth. So taking those major years of school life, I'm going to condense it into less than two minutes. So there's no way I'm going to be able to explain all of this to you. But I want you to at least have an idea of how we got the text that we have and that it's incredibly reliable and authoritative. So the first thing is this. When Mark writes his gospel, all right, he's sitting there and he's jotting it down by hand. They didn't have computers, didn't have typewriters. I know to some of you are like, duh. And then the kids are like, no. <laughs> Did he at least text it? <laughs> no. 
So he's sitting there writing it by hand. And then, again, this might also be shocking. They didn't have copy machines. So their copy machines were people named scribes. And so Mark finishes his text. He flips through. He's like, yeah, this is good. Then he takes it to a scribe, and he walks over, and he hands it to the scribe. And he goes, hey, can you make copies of this for me? And the scribe says, yeah, yeah, okay, I got this. And then he makes, let's say he makes five copies. One copy makes its way up to Rome. Another copy makes its way up to, or down to Egypt. All right? And when the copies arrive to make sure they're even further distributed, because Mark's gospel wants to get out to everyone. They want everyone to hear what Jesus does. They send it to a scribe in Rome and a scribe in Egypt. Now, the scribe in Rome, let's just say, he was a Christian. And he had heard about Jesus. And he knew this Jesus. And he comes across this passage in Mark. And he sees, Mark wrote, Jesus was indignant. And he just thinks, no, not my Jesus. No, my Jesus is never angry. My Jesus is loving. He's kind. He's gracious. He doesn't ever get angry. And so he looks at Mark's text and he goes, don't worry, Mark. I've got this. I've got this. Cross out indignant. (laughs) I know. Filled with compassion. Yeah, that sounds much better. And so the guy in Rome changes the text to filled with compassion. And then every time a copy is made of that text, it says filled with compassion. But at the same time, the guy in Egypt comes across Mark's text. He may not understand why Jesus is indignant, but he goes, all right, Mark, I trust you on this one. And he just leaves the word indignant. And it gets spread that way. And so what happens is we have a ton of, of manuscripts that have one that says Jesus was indignant and one that says Jesus was filled with compassion. And the goal of scholarship today is how do we get to the original text that we have? How do we get to that? How do we know what Mark wrote exactly? And this is where scholars come in, and you're just going to have to kind of trust me on this, but there's a rule of thumb in textual criticism that says you essentially go with the shortest and the most difficult translation because that is likely the accurate one. And and this makes sense. It makes sense that somebody would later come along and go, yeah, I think you need to add a little more detail about this. And so they would lengthen it. Or they'd be like, oh, that's a little hard translation. Uh, let's, Let's just make it easier. And so if you're, you're stuck between the two, filled with compassion or indignant, indignant is far more difficult to understand and translate. So the likely, the likely translation was indignant. The likely word that Mark used was indignant. All that to say, so what? So what is it, how does it change our understanding of the text that Jesus was indignant rather than filled with compassion? Well, it's got two potential op- options here. One could be that Jesus was indignant. Jesus was angry with the leper for approaching him. I mean, this guy did break custom. He broke the law. We could kind of justify that. The problem is, at no other point in the gospel does Jesus ever get mad at somebody with a problem. The only time Jesus gets mad is at people arrogant enough to think they don't have problems. So that doesn't make sense. Also, he immediately puts his, puts his hand on him and heals him. If you were angry, why would you do that? So that is likely that he wasn't angry at the leper. Well, what else could it be? Well, perhaps when the leper approaches Jesus, he looks at him. And he's so aware of the suffering of this man, both physically and socially, 
that it drives, it brings up this burning anger, this burning passion of injustice within him. This is not right. And in that righteous indignation, he acts out of compassion and heals the man. I think this is an emotion I think most of us can relate to. You ever watch the news and just heard horrific tragedies happen? And you're like, that's not right. That's just wrong. No. And you, have, you feel compelled to act. You feel compelled to do something. What, what Mark is wanting us to understand, the reason he's adding indignation here is when Jesus sees what's going on in this leper's life and he sees that this man is at the very end of his rope and has completely let go and is saying, is throwing himself on the ground before Jesus with absolute nothingness now. He's thrown out his dignity. He's thrown out his life. He's thrown out his identity and he's just laying there. Jesus looks at him and goes, this is not right and I've got to do something about this. And so he reaches out in an act of incredible compassion and touches this man and brings healing. This is why Jesus' response is so incredibly shocking. In the midst of this man's plight, Jesus becomes angry at his situation, is filled with compassion, and does something about it. He reaches in and touches him and heals him. In touching, though, it was believed that just like if you walked under the tree or whatever, you would incur defilement. In touching a defiled person, Jesus himself becomes defiled. To make the man righteous, Jesus had to become unrighteous. Is this starting to sound familiar? Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a pole. What we see in this story, like I told you before, is simply a microcosm of what Mark wants us to understand happens at the very end of his gospel. Jesus steps into human history. From heaven, he looks down, he sees the plight of humanity and says, this is not right. Filled with righteous indignation, he comes in the presence of, of, of Jesus Christ lives among us, walks among us, teaches us, loves us, and ultimately, in an act of incredible compassion, reaches out not just one arm, but two arms, and willingly offers himself as a sacrifice. In so doing, incurs defilement upon himself, takes the curse of our sin upon himself, so that we who were cursed might be set free. This story's cool. This story's really cool. I'm going to push it a little further, though. What we're going to see, I told you earlier that this literally turns the world inside out. And Mark wants to make sure we see this. Look with me at the last three verses. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. This was, this was the law. Jesus knows that in Leviticus 14, it says the only way a person can be restored back to the, the, the um, community is the priests have to okay it. The priests have to declare them cleansed. And so Jesus is sticking with the law. He's saying, okay, now go follow the rules. But the guy doesn't do that. Instead, verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Now, let's pause just a second. Before we judge this guy, who can blame him? I mean, this guy has just been handed his life back to him. Moments earlier, moments earlier, he had nothing. And the last little thing he had, his dignity, he threw it out by throwing himself, breaking all of the laws, social uh, customs and legal laws, throwing him out and throwing himself on the ground. And now his whole world has been changed. He's been restored. He's been redeemed. He's been giving life to the fullest. Who can blame him for not keeping his mouth shut? Uh-oh. Anybody pick up on that? As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed where? Outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. At the beginning of this story, where was the leper? Outside. Outside in the lonely places. What's interesting is, even later in Mark's gospel, Jesus is back in the city. Mark's trying to make a point. These six little verses, Mark's trying to tell us the world has been turned inside out. The one who was once the very center of society, both in the person of Jesus Christ, who's surrounded by all these people following him, and figuratively, Jesus Christ, the representative of the triune God, has now been pushed outside of the community, while those who were once far away, in the lonely outside places, have been brought in. If you look to the end of Mark's gospel, it ends in kind of a cliffhanger. Jesus has been pushed out, and the disciples are left concerned. Where's Jesus? What Mark's trying to help us understand is what happens here is what happens there. What happens with this leper is what happens on this cross. Now, how does this impact us today? What does this have to do? Because I think we all agree this is a cool story, but sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, man, that gospel, that is cool. I like how everything fits together. But what does this have to do with us? Well, I originally wanted to title this sermon, um, the first step of discipleship. Admit you have a problem. <laughs> Thanks. I was really hoping I was going to let it sit there for a little while. <laughs> In this story, we see the first three steps of recovery that AA has lined out for us. Admit you have a problem. Seek a higher power. Recognize, find hope, essentially. And three, surrender to that higher power. What does he do? First thing he does, this guy recognizes his brokenness. Nobody needs to tell this guy he needs Jesus. He fully gets it. And so in the midst of his brokenness, he searches. He finds hope. And he sees him. 
from a distance. And it doesn't matter what's between him and that hope. He's going to do anything he can. So he breaks the law. He, bre he breaks the social custom. He does everything he can to get to Jesus. And then third, what does he do? He submits. He says, God, heal me. You and I are not all that different from him. The only difference between us and the leper, though, is I think the leper understood just how broken he was. Too often, we forget, we're too prideful, too stubborn to really admit how messed up, how empty, how broken, how meaningless, how lonely our lives are. Too many of us are absolutely convinced we can do this life on our own power, on our own terms. But that's just not the case. I don't know all of you. I don't do this all that often. I more hang out with the kids. But of those of you I know and whose stories I know, I know many of you are struggling with a lot of things. I know there are marriages that are on the rocks here. And if they're not on the rocks yet, you know they're heading towards them. I know there are those of you whose kids are either out of control, suffering with something, and it just keeps you up late at night, worrying about them. I also know in this time, there's a lot of people struggling financially, a lot of people with jobs and insecurity, and it just stresses them out. And it may not be circumstantial stuff that's simply weighing you down. I also know there's a lot of people in here who are struggling with a lot of guilt. There's a lot of sin or whatever it is, that one residual sin maybe that you just can't seem to kick on your own. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work to overcome it, you can't shake it. It's still there. It keeps coming back. Your anger, your jealousy, your lust. Maybe it's that porn addiction. Maybe it's the fact that you continue to yell at that neighbor across the street or that guy at work that just drives you nuts. And no matter how hard you fight against it, no matter how much you try to control your spouse, it's not working. I also know many of us desire to do something about it, but don't know what to do. Passages like this provide an excellent roadmap. Because in this, the leper shows us what to do. He shows us the first three steps of recovery. We need to... What, <laughs> Jesus makes this pretty clear, too. <laughs> if you look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, what Pastor Chris preached on for a couple weeks, we are told the kingdom of God is here. The time has come. Repent and believe the good news. The first two steps are repenting. They're admitting you've got a problem, and they're saying, I can't do this on my own. I need somewhere else to go. Repenting. I'm going to stop trying to control this problem. I'm going to stop trying to fix it on myself. I'm going to admit I need some help. And you turn to the cross. And then the second thing the leper does is he submits to Jesus. And the second thing we need to do is believe on him. Trust him. 
And so what does this look like to repent? Let's say it's a marriage and you're really struggling in a marriage and you're having a very difficult time because your spouse doesn't listen or whatever, or it's just really hard. What you've been trying to do is you've been trying to control it. What would it look like to trust Jesus to take care of it? To say, God, I need your help. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back and I'm just going to pray for my spouse. God, help me to love them. God, help me to have patience. God, change their heart or change my heart to trust on Jesus to do something rather than you trying to fix it. What about that guy at work that you can't stand? Every time they open their mouth, it just grates on you. What would it look like? Well, maybe it's this. God, please help me to stop trying to micromanage this person and back off a little bit. Lord, more than anything, give me your eyes. Help me to see them as you do. Help me to see that they are just as much in need of you as I am. It'll soften your heart. But more than anything, it's allowing Jesus to work. You've got to get out of the way. Now, some of you are more like, that's cool, man. I totally recognize that in my life. Or at least I've recognized that in the past. But right now, everything's going really well. You know what? I went through my real dark periods. I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust him wholeheartedly with my life. I think this passage still speaks to those in that position too. Because when we come across passages like this, there are opportunities for us to reflect backwards. There are opportunities for us to remember what it was like when we were in that dark space and what it was like when Jesus met us there and how that impacted the way we live. Some of you have gone through some really difficult things and I know it's easy to kind of, I don't want to think about that. But where I encourage you is to invite Jesus into that process to say, God, where were you in the midst of this? How were you working? What were you doing? Where were you? Or maybe you're able to go, you know what? There was that instance, and I haven't thought about that in a couple of years, but man, that was so powerful when I was in high school. That was so powerful. Take the opportunity today to reflect. That's what a service gives you time for. But lastly, you're going to see in the story next week, there's four healthy friends or several healthy friends that end up dragging their unhealthy friend to Jesus. They do anything they can to help him. This is an awesome picture because the truth is while many of us are struggling with some very difficult things and we need, just like the leper, to throw ourselves before Jesus and believe on him, we also need people who are like, after the encounter with Jesus and are super excited and super passionate telling us about that. We need people to come alongside us and encourage us, man, God was able to work like this in my life. Share your testimonies. Talk with us. Don't just stick with your click here. I want to hear your stories and not just me. I can tell you, I know the kids do. I know others of you are like, man, I, I've seen that guy every Sunday. I don't know much about them. I wonder what God's done in their life. Share with each other. Ask. So you were born a very long, long time ago. Tell me what happened from there. Like, just get to know one another. The last thing, and Drew's mentioned this, and he did an excellent job. We're going to have 20 so minutes left to reflect in this service. These Kairos cards are nothing super special, okay? There's no extra holy oil sprinkled on them. You don't get bonus points, all right? They don't get deductions and tithe or whatever else you want to do. They're simply meant to be a place where you can 
reflect and ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you trying to get me to do about it? And I just encourage you, if you're not sure how to pray about that, it's really a lot more simple than you think. You just go, God, what are you trying to say to me? What is your word of grace in this passage today? What do you want me to know? And then when you hear something, maybe it's, you know what, you're my beloved. I am willing to serve you. I am willing to, to love you. I was willing to go to the cross for you. That's a powerful word of grace. That's a powerful thing God's trying to say to you. And then what is God calling you to do? There's probably something, something very practical, be it a Bible, be it a, you know what? Maybe when you come up, maybe you need to come up to the rail and pray. Maybe you just need to go and there's a person that's been prompted on your heart to share your story with. Maybe you need to share your story. Whatever it is, just try it. <laughs> share your Kairos moment with somebody. It's just a cool opportunity. Most importantly, and I close with this, we have a God who is living and active. But more importantly, he is compassionate. He's not just doing stuff for doing stuff's sake. He's a God that is steeped in grace, steeped in love. And when he looks at you, he has tremendous compassion and joy when he looks at you. And he is willing to act on your behalf. The question is, are you willing to ask? Why don't we pray? And I'll invite up the, the worship team here. But I do encourage you in the rest of this service, take these cards. Just reflect. Just pray. God, what are you trying to say to me? Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you that you are not content to let us continue to go on our aimless, hopeless path, but in your rich compassion, you decided to step into human history and do something about it. And in an act of incredible compassion, you went to the cross on our behalf, incurring defilement so that we might be made right with you, so that we might experience the life that you offer us. God, I pray in the rest of this time, as we worship, as we worship through song, as we worship through hanging out together, as we worship through communion, as we worship through reflecting on our Kairos cards. I pray that you meet us, but most of all, Lord, that you are glorified in this time and that we place a smile upon your face, that we please you today. In Jesus' name, amen.